Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today I'm talking with Max Bloom of the band Yuck. I'm hoping you're familiar with Yuck, but if not, you should change that right now. Max also released a solo album called Perfume back in April, which I know feels like five years ago, but check it out. Today on the pod, we talked about the 2001 album Software Slump by Granddaddy. Kind of funny there seems to be so many of these favorite albums from that year. wonder why that is. Anywho, so this is a longer chat, but I'll say, and no disrespect to my previous or upcoming guests, had a lot of fun talking with Max about Granddaddy, of course, Sourdough Starters, Kombucha, how we don't know how to tell time, or time zones more specifically, the band Wilco, and once again, Granddaddy. Before I let you go, please share this pod with friends. You know, do the things like rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Spotify. And follow us also on Twitter and Instagram. Those things really help. We love you. Are you stuck at home and need new records, but it doesn't feel safe to venture out? or you don't want to support big box stores, go to lunchboxrecords.com for the best new releases and a whole lot more. If you live in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can do safe pickup, but if you live elsewhere in the United States, they'd be happy to ship to you. At checkout, just enter discount code SPINNINGOUT for 10% off. Come on, you love new music, so trust me, it's easy. Actually, I noticed recently you were speaking on Twitter about what album you should cover. And mm-hmm. I think Granddaddy ended up being the choice. Have you gotten around to covering the album? And was it this album? Okay. Uh, yes, I did say I was going to do that on Twitter. Um, and not that I shouldn't have done that, but um, I didn't realize just how much work it was going to be. Um, so I did record uh, a cover of the first track of the Software Slump, uh, which is He's Simple, He's Dumb, He's the Pilot. Um, I've recorded it. I haven't mixed it. Um, I I was really happy with the results, but like my, my vocal range is uh, quite limited compared to Jason Little. Jason Little has a very high voice and a very clear and sustained voice. And I think in comparison to his, my voice is quite low. So um, it was, I was singing most of it in, in falsetto and it was just kind of, uh, I, I don't know if I carried it off. I haven't listened to it in a few months, but I think I'll put it out at some point soon. But in terms of like a full granddaddy's granddaddy cover record, you know, that would be quite challenging and quite time intensive. <laughs> that, that, I feel like that probably was something like at the start of like quarantine, like it was kind of like, you know, it's, it still is sort of like, I don't know how long it's going to last, you know? So it's like, dig in, you know, it's like, I'll paint my house or, 
<laughs> I'll start getting into running or something, you know, something where it's like, I have all the time in the world. So then when you really start breaking down like a eight minute and 52 second long song, um, that's probably also like a hard barrier to entry with like one, probably listening to the record, but also kind of like, if you're going to, cover the whole album starting with the first track that is eight minutes and 52 seconds like probably doesn't give you like a good feeling like oh shit you know i've I've done all those things like i've done during lockdown um i've i've got a sourdough starter i've started making kombucha um i i've started running i run like three times a week i've done all these things so really Doing, recording a granddaddy album is is really difficult to find the time to do that when I've got all these kombuchas to look after. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, also like, you know, I mean, I've written a lot of music during during lockdown. So, you know, it kind of feels like I'd rather put my energy into new music than than recording granddaddy covers. But I mean, the recording, the reason why I went for... Uh, the reason why I went to record He's Simple, He's Dummies the Pilot first was because I've always felt that, like, I love the recording as it is, but like that the middle, the middle section where is just like, um, I think it interlinks the second section in the outro. There's a kind of like a little bit of like piano twinkling and then it just kind of goes straight into the last section. And I really, I really wished that there was a more extensive kind of soundscape during that section that lasted maybe a minute or two minutes or something like that. Um, and I, I, f- I really feel like they should have done that. That's my only criticism of, of that song. And because Granddaddy are really good at weird kind of ambient soundscapes. And I feel like they didn't do that because I heard that this album was recorded on 16 tracks. So I reckon they just ran out of tracks. Um, but yeah, so when I, when I did my cover of this song on logic where I can have a million tracks, obviously, um, I did put in like a really long ambient spacey soundscape, which was really fun to do. (laughs) Yeah. I think also what's, what's funny, as you say, ambient soundscapes, it's like my neighbor that's mowing his lawn gets closer and closer (laughs) to the window. Um, and so um, or I could have said, I could have like acted like it was some sort of sound design, like we're doing like an NPR podcast, you know, <laughs> so I really like pulled the veil back there. Uh, but I, it's, I swear, I thought that they were mowing my yard um, at that point. But, uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I mean, actually, I guess I'm kind of like thinking of like a different thing and also kind of backtracking because when you said, uh, when, when you mentioned uh starting your own doing kombucha i was like that's something i haven't done like my wife was doing the sourdough and then like it's like you know years have passed in quarantine and we're already like over that part but we never did kombucha like i've done running and i still run i try and run like three times a week um but yeah i haven't done kombucha and so i'll probably have to you know talk with you more about that afterwards but you know like this is a whole separate podcast yeah <laughs> a kombucha podcast yeah it's uh yeah it, well it's like we could choose either this could be um well ambient soundscapes podcast a runner's world podcast or 
uh, kombucha world. Um, oh, sourdough. Yeah, sorry. But I didn't want to steal your idea. I think that was yours first, the sourdough start. I was actually really surprised that, uh, I was kind of surprised at the song link. Like, I was kind of telling you before, the only granddaddy record I've heard prior was just the family cat which was their last record before reforming um and i think i'm always kind of surprised when people have tracks that are like eight minutes and 50 or like over five minutes and it's i don't say that as like somebody that uh, doesn't like long songs but i've seen a lot of discourse we'll say on like twitter or social media where people are like don't have a song over four minutes you know and I don't know where you feel about that or I, I don't think that there's like a hard pass rule. Like I don't like the idea personally that like a song just has to be like three minutes. You know, it's like, it's like this song doesn't do like what a Metallica song does and like just repeat a verse chorus over and over. Like it goes places. Like there's lots of like parts to the song and I feel like it does, it feels like a good length for the song that it's trying to be. Yeah, I mean, the rule about a song being three and a half minutes long is a very, you know, it's a very old fashioned rule. I like, I like that because I really like pop music and, yeah. and three and a half minutes is enough time for or exactly usually the right amount of time for the traditional pop chord structure, um, which obviously uh, he's simple, he's dummy, he's the pilot is not that. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it's also kind of, um, about radio, you know, the kind of attention span, the average human attention span for one song is kind of a, probably about two, three minutes. Um, and yeah, obviously this song is not going to be on the radio or, I mean, maybe some really kind of cool independent radio, like one in the morning, but not kind of, you know, prime time um, UK or whatever, American radio. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I I first heard about this song actually um, because there was a TV show in the UK called Trigger Happy TV. Have you heard of it? No. Uh, well, what, actually, was Trigger Happy the one where they did like pranks? Yeah. It's okay. Really, then yes. It's yeah. It's an old show from the late nineties, early noughties, I think, and. Um, yeah, uh, present, not presented, but starring Dom Jolly. And, you know, the, the most famous scene was like, he had like a big phone. <laughs> yes, yes. And he would be like, you know, shouting hello in public spaces and people would look, which feels very old fashioned now because the whole joke <laughs> was like, look how big phones are. But like now it's like the biggest phone is like an iPhone X or whatever. Anyway. Um, bringing me so, back to it though and yeah. I'm just like like thinking because uh, they would play it on um, Comedy Central in the US yeah. like the reruns yeah. and I thought it was hilarious like it almost had a vibe um, like sometimes I mean there's a lot of things like it not now but um, like punk I guess kind of sort mm -hmm. of but not really like it's like such a thing that doesn't happen anymore but also sometimes made me feel like Benny Hill yeah but that's also like even like let me give you an older reference but then give you an older reference to something like yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah. but dom jolly um chose all the music for 
Trigger Happy, and it had some incredible music um, as the soundtrack. One of the tracks was um, this, it was a clip of the second section from He's Simple, He's Dummies the Pilot. Um, and it just had that kind of falling synth line. And I remember hearing that and just thinking like, well, I, I never, I think I was probably like 13 at, when I saw that and heard that. Um, and I was like really into System of a Down and, and new metal at the time. So I wasn't like, you know, I didn't really feel the need to go and like actively find out. Shazam did not, um, did not exist in those days. I had no, no way really of finding out like what, what that song was, but I really liked that piece of music and it only kind of connected years later. I was like, oh yeah, that's, well, when I first heard the song and I heard that synth line, the falling synth line, um, I can't remember where in the song that happens, but yeah, that sound is just really, really beautiful. And it really affected me at the age of 12 or 13 when I saw, you know, Trigger Happy TV. And, and, and then when I heard it years later, it just, the feeling just kind of came back. And, um, but yeah, like, um, he had some amazing music on that show, like Wichita Lineman was another one that, um, that really stuck with me from that show. And yeah, I can't remember what else he had. Just really, really good music. He's got really good taste. Yeah. Wichita, wait, Wichita Lineman, is that Bobby Bear or is that, uh, Campbell? Oh, Glenn Campbell. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like a weird thing. I mean, there's probably some equivalent nowadays. Um, but my, my wife's been watching like one tree Hill. Um, yeah. and they have so much like things where it'll just be like fallout boys on this episode, or even sometimes even like kind of better things. I can't like think of like the equivalent of it for the time frame. just like, and I'm like, there are no platforms like that now. Uh, I feel like I could be completely wrong with that, but you, it wouldn't have been uncommon at the time. Like you were saying, like trigger happy TV playing granddaddy, like even like the only thing I can think of now, which isn't super current, I guess it still plays as a show is like on catfish, they'll play cool songs, but really just short interludes, but then they they'll tell you what it is. And I've seen like some of my friends bands play then I'm always like, I hope you got a check, you know, or something, you know, like, it's like, like, it, I wouldn't have been surprised if like Yuck played. Um, well, Catfish. I'll tell you, um, that would be fucking amazing. Cause I love Catfish. Um, I'll tell you a really good show that has really great. Well, okay. Not all great, but some interesting music. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you seen the show called Terrace House? What? Terrace House. It's uh Japanese is basically like Japanese Big Brother. Um, um, no, yeah. And I, it's it's a really bizarre TV show. I would describe it as a nature documentary about humans. Um, basically, the the general premise is is I think it's three girls and three boys just live in a house and that's it. And they're filmed and they can go out, they can leave, they can do their jobs, whatever, but they're just filmed the whole time. And it's like produced like very MTV. So there's like, you know, songs in the background that last for like five seconds and no more. But like, you know, a lot of, a lot of really interesting, ba- like I think, I think Yaka has been on it um, actually. And, um, you know, my friend's band from London was on it. And, you know, they have like some really poppy stuff, but amongst that they have some like really interesting 
new music as well, which is, you know, which is great. And also like the theme tune, I started watching it when I was in Japan um, and the theme tune in, in the Japanese version is different to the UK version, but the theme tune to the Japanese version was this, was this amazing song by Beck um, on an album called Colors called Real Life. Um, and yeah, I don't know, that's kind of a bit of a tangent, but um, yeah, they def- <laughs> I don't think they have, they have a granddaddy song <laughs> yeah. to try and bring bring it back round to granddaddy yeah i mean well this is the tangent podcast um so that's <laughs> totally fine okay. um and I always like sometimes it's like and then i'm like oh i want to talk more about that but yeah we'll we'll try um you know instead of going to talk about sourdough we'll we'll keep talking about granddaddy i guess um <laughs> now the thing that i always like this sounds like such a stupid thing but um i think like sometimes when i look at pictures of granddaddy I'm like, I don't think I would like these people. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, and I'm also basing it based on, like, okay, so now I feel like in 2020, when you see someone that's dressed like every, every fucking picture of granddaddy, they all have button-down shirts and, like, uh, trucker hats. Yeah. But, gonna- like, that was the way people dressed back then. Mm-hmm. Like, in the early 2000s, almost every sort of, like, alternative dude would have dressed that way but then also like i thought about it today because i was like i was like i looked at it again and i was like this is how i still dress like um so but it's it's sort of like you know i i don't know what like modesto california like what what it looks like as a place and you'd probably have less of a way to tell me since you're not from the u.s um but if someone would want to tell me how Modesto, California, it almost seems like Modesto to me, based on like looking at pictures of the way they dress is like a cow town or something, you know? I mean, looking, I'm just kind of Googling pictures of granddaddy now. And I mean, they look <laughs> like an emo band. If I had, if I had not heard their music, I would think that they were like, uh, like a good emo band, yeah. like, um, uh oh god the name is like saves the day or something yeah they probably Um, dress that way now yeah um no they don't look like their music but you know that's quite cool too there's a lot of bands that don't necessarily look like they would you know look the part as such i think pixies are kind of like that as well yeah i mean they almost have like a vibe where it's like and it, it makes sense it kind of ties into what they play but it's almost like if i were on a modest mouse show there would be a few dudes yelling and then I'd be like, I can't hear, you know, I can't hear Hewlett's daughter. And yeah. then they like beat my ass and call me a slur or something is yeah. kind of like what they all look like. And also the idea that, that there's like five of them in the picture and they all have button down shirts and all have trucker hats. And I'm like, could you, one of y'all not worn a hat or something, you know, like when you see a band picture of like, it's like five dudes in flannel, it's like, bring a different shirt to yeah. take the picture you know? or like a band photo and everyone is wearing a band shirt. And yeah. I, you know, I, I've, I know I broke all of these rules before. So <laughs> it's like, I'm not even saying it. Like when I looked at it too, I was like, this isn't a bad look for them. They, they're guys that can pull it off, but it also just kind of seemed like they would throw their beer at me. You know? Well, Jason Little has worn a trucker cap for so long that yeah. he can't take it off now. <laughs> and maybe, 
maybe he wants to that's the sad thing like you know at the age of like 80 or 90 you know should he live that long i hope he does yeah. is he gonna still want to wear a trucker cap of course maybe not uh, maybe he will i don't know that's his choice i want it to be his choice that's the point yeah yeah you know it makes me uh think of like when you said he can't take it off it's like at the end of joe dirt where they fuse um like the dread hat onto his head because his skull grows back around it um <laughs> is what that makes me think of but i think fred Durst has stopped <laughs> wearing, wearing his cap so you know if fred Durst can take his cap off then jason little should be able to I could see Fred Durst putting Granddaddy in one of his movies. Um, I was not aware that Fred Durst made movies. He has like two or three movies. Um, he has a most, the most recent movie he has is called The Fanatic, I believe. Yeah. I'm and now. is that anything he can't do? He's so much. Yeah, he can do anything. <laughs> Were you a big, you said you listen like System of Down. Did you have like a big Lump Biscuit phase? Yes, I did. In fact, um, just the other day, I was <laughs> listening to Significant Other, um, and it was fucking amazing. And I tweeted saying, um, you know, like, cancel me if you must, but Significant Other is still fucking amazing. And people were like, oh, I don't know about that. But then like five minutes later, they were like, yeah, okay, you're right. Um, yeah. you, I, I know I'm right. Someone today said that Gold Cobra is their best record. And I was like, that's a weird statement. When did that come out? Like, <laughs> uh, That's like a 2012 album, I believe. I, ca- I cannot deal with Limp Bizkit in 2012. They, yeah. I mean, after, <laughs> I mean, after Chocolate Starfish was when I kind of said, all right, enough is enough. I'm going to expand my horizons beyond rap metal. Yeah, I, and somehow I'll figure out how we can bring it back around to Granddaddy. But um, I, I wonder why, like, time has been so kind to Lent Biscuit, like, out of anything. Like, I feel like it's like I always hear people say nice things, like, <laughs> like condolences. Um <laughs> I always hear people say kind things about Limp Bizkit, like stick up for them, you know? So on Spotify, for example, they have over, they have six and a half million monthly listeners. Okay. Um, Yeah, which is, which is wild. And (laughs) looking at the, uh, the bit where it says where people listen, number one, Mexico City, number two, Sao Paulo, number three, London. I've never met a Limp Bizkit fan in London, apart from me and my friend. <laughs> but like, you know, who, who are all these people in London listening to Limp Bizkit? 99,000 people a month, and I haven't met a single one. Well, you just probably have to, you have to pay more attention to people with backwards hats. <laughs> I think, you know. Um, or like, even people with like... <laughs> clear or like the white contacts <laughs> like i think that would kind of give it away you know yeah that's um, it's do like you think it is possible to be a granddaddy fan and a limp biscuit fan and if so are you the only one that's an interesting question um 
I think there's a very, there's a clear road between, I mean, my road to other music was kind of through indie music. So like, you know, it's just the guitar as an instrument, like, you know, I was listening to new metal, um, you know, and I followed that path, you know, turn the distortion pedals, turn the boss metal zone pedal down slightly. And then you kind of get to <laughs> get to indie music. Um, so yeah, like, I think it's very likely there are dual Limp Bizkit granddaddy fans out there, but they, would, they wouldn't admit it. I'm the only one who is brave enough to, to come out as a fan of both. Oh, good. Um, and whenever you made the trajectory from being a Limp Bizkit fan, I guess, into the eventual granddaddy fan, what do you feel like was the journey between, like, what was the, probably the next step after Limp Bizkit for you? Ah. Oh. Um, well, I spoke about Saves the Day earlier. Um, I was a really big Saves the Day fan, um, particularly an album called Stay What You Are. And <clears throat> for, you know, that was a good bridge of an album because um, it's, it's very emo, uh, but it's like quite tasteful. And the songs are, I mean, the lyrics are like so emo, but the songs are like really, really well written. And all the sounds are like, you know, it's distorted, but it's quite gentle. And I think it's, it's really melodic as well. And I think when I heard that record by Saves the Day, I kind of felt inclined to seek bands that were similar and kind of had a similar sense of melody. Um, and so, yeah, I guess like from there, I kind of started looking into more kind of indie music. But, you know, it's not a clear path because like I went through a phase of only listening to Steely Dan for like a really long time. <laughs> Is that at a young age? Yeah, because I had a friend, <laughs> I, I uh, had a friend at school who was um, at the time like militantly into jazz funk. And the only way you could be his friend <laughs> was by yourself becoming um, a fan of, of jazz funk. And so it wasn't only Steely Dan, you know, there was some like, you know, but Steely Dan was sort of the most, like, the most I could give him in order to be his friend. And um, so, yeah, there was a long time where I, where I just listened to Steely Dan. And, and that, that has, you know, still um, Steely Dan remain a part of my life today. Um, but, yeah, and then, like, I listened to, I mean, along with, like, jazz funk, I listened to just jazz for a really long time as well. And then, like, I had a year of only listening to the Beatles, um, and like nothing else. Um, I, I kind of, the way I listen to music is very much in, in obsessions. Um, and so, yeah, I count Granddaddy and a handful of other bands as, as part of an obsession as well. Yeah, I, there's like certain bands to me that, well, like when you were mentioning like, you know, Saves the Day, it's like a lot of people would use emo. One thing I was thinking, it's kind of an obvious statement, but it's like, I don't think anyone, no one could really listen to Granddaddy and be like, this is an emo band. But sometimes it makes me think like, where where is the dividing line with certain things? Like, it's like, there's a lot of elements there that could be, but it's like sometimes the gulf between like emo and indie rock gets like, pretty annoying to me like it's like it's like I feel like it's like granddaddy firmly to me is an indie rock band 
but I, I don't even know why I'm saying that to a degree. <laughs> yeah, genres can be really annoying like that. And I think, you know, a lot of indie like um, kind of goes goes beyond that and kind of borders into like emo if you, you know, if you want to label genres. But, but yeah, it is really difficult to um, to figure out the line. But I think there is a reason um, that emo fans are so uh, like on board with the bands that they're fans of and you know, they've become so in love with them because I think emo music, um, basically like, I think everyone is in music is just looking for music that makes you feel something. And, you know, emo, emo music is in the name. It's music that is designed to make you feel some, a really strong emotion. And so, you know, if that's, I mean, if that's the definition of emo music, then, you know, anything can be, can be emo. But um, obviously I know it's like, um, that's like, different kind of stereotypes that the people have about about emo music and what it should sound like but i mean you know if you if you look at bands like i think you know yuck definitely has like certain emo moments and there's like influences that i've taken from you know bands that i've that i listened to when i was like 13 14 that have just kind of like subconsciously made their way into music that i made way later on if that makes sense yeah i think though what i was thinking with like granddaddy um I think that there's almost like a thing of the time frame of this specific record when it came out. Um, it's almost like it's purposely trying not to, not saying like they don't have like emotional songs or like emotional weight to the lyrics, but it's like, it's almost like trying to not, it's, it's like a detached kind of thing with a lot of music of this time frame. Like, like um, it's like purposefully detached and I could be wrong, but that's like, how I always felt about a lot of bands like built the spill and, you know, uh, granddaddy and even modest mouse. It's like, mm. you know, uh, it's, it feels like like modest mouse, he's saying a lot of stuff, but it's like how, what percentage of it did he like either live himself or, mm. you know, cares about, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I got into granddaddy um, at a similar time of getting into bands like Built to Spill, um, Wilco, Flaming Lips. And um, I think, you know, prior to me becoming obsessed with Granddaddy, um, I was listening to any music that was quite heavy and in the decade of the 90s. So stuff like Dinosaur Jr., Super Chunk, um, Pixies, um, Huskadoo, stuff like that. Um, and I think when I found Granddaddy, it was, I found, I found them a lot more emotional than the bands that I had been, lis been listening to. Um, you know, especially the software slump. Um, what Jason Little was singing about um, had quite a, a profound effect on me. Um, compared to, you know, a, say like a Dinosaur Junior song or a Super Chunk song. They're really like fun songs and they make me feel something for sure. And like, I love their music, but yeah, uh, Jason Little, it felt like he was singing about something bigger than what other bands were singing about. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could see that. And also I feel like the difference to especially with like this record, as opposed to, I guess if we're, if we kind of lump in like Super Chunk, you know, Built the Spell, Dinosaur Jr. and all that, 
Um, granddaddy is definitely not like guitar forward at a lot of points, you know, it's, uh, um, I mean, it's like electronic in a lot of ways, you know, I used air quotes that don't really matter for this, but people can probably hear the air quote inflection in my voice, but you know, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I started. I think when I was, um, introduced to granddaddy, like that's when I was not like I was unaware of it, you know, but it was like, Oh, you can still make essentially what's viewed as guitar rock, but it not be guitar forward, you know, mm-hmm. in that same sense. Cause I mean, it is still pretty guitar heavy in places, but, um, just a different focus. I, you know, I'm not sure how I'm breaking it down, but it's okay. Know. So going back to like covering granddaddy and approaching a granddaddy cover. Um, I, I looked into recording a song on the next album someday um, called I'm on standby. And I was going to do that. And then like, I was like listening to it and trying to figure out the chords, but then like a lot of granddaddy songs have like really, really bizarre intros and just bizarre sections that you can't cover because like, it's like a sound effect of like an alarm clock or, you know, some really specific weird synth sound. And, you know, you can't, you can't really cover stuff like that. Like that is unique to granddaddy. That's like their weird sounds and their weird production choices are as much a part of the music as, you know, the lyrics or the melodies or whatever, which is, which is also like one thing I really love about them. The only I mean, the only granddaddy cover I've heard actually is of AM180 by the band Pup. And it was pretty good. Um, and actually, but you know, like AM180 is like, a, it's, it's like a household song. Like everyone knows that song. Um, and it's like a straightforward rock song. There's not much, you know, uh, there's, it's not that difficult in terms of its kind of like production and stuff. But that their am 180 i think it was like placed in like commercials and whatnot um yeah so i know it from this film in the uk called 28 days later yes that's what i yeah i I saw i saw that and like the research of it but i don't necessarily know if i remember it from being in the movie uh, but it's been years since i've seen it so Mm. i mean i i heard again like like watching trigger happy like i heard it in that song in that uh movie but i didn't listen to it but the reason why i kind of got back into or got into granddaddy really was because uh johnny the drummer of yuck um when we first started the band he he's from new jersey and he lived with me in my parents house for like quite a while while we were just like starting the band and he would like walk around just whistling the main melody to AM180 like the whole time. And I was like, eventually like I asked him like, what are you whistling? <laughs> um, and then he showed me and then I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And yeah. And I think at that point he was like, oh, it, okay. If you like this, you should listen to the software slump. It's an incredible album. And Johnny also like introduced me to built to spill and some, other incredible bands and um he also funnily enough i mean i don't know if he likes limp biscuit actually but you know his background is very much in the world of like emo and you know hardcore emo and his band that he was in before yuck 
in New Jersey was like, it was like very, very heavy math rock. So that's his world, but he also loves like indie music and stuff. Yeah, tangent, um, but you probably don't really have an answer for this, but do you feel like people are overusing the term math rock? And I'm not saying um, Johnny was at that time, and I don't know the time signatures they were playing with at the time, but I feel like in current nomenclature, I hear a lot of four four things that are called. I love playing in four four, so you know it's like I would most rather uh, do that a lot of times. But what I'm saying is like, I personally I feel like it's overused. Um, I don't know if you know you have a thought on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's so much. I mean, genres in in That's music. A, yeah, it's it's a genre. It's it's a genre thing, and you know, genres in music are you know, a really a helpful tool for people to kind of like categorize and like pigeonhole music and make sense of a world that is really like complicated. Um, so it can be helpful, but it, it can also be really unhelpful. Like, you know, I when someone asks me like, you know, what type of music do you play? It's like, it's really difficult to say like, you know, rock music, indie rock, <laughs> alternative rock, you know, Christian rock. I have no, I have no idea. Um, you know, generally I just say indie rock, but that's probably not the best description of it. So like, you know, math rock is like, I mean, it's a very specific thing. Like if I make a song with a weird time signature, is that math rock? Um, you know, like Steely Dan have some weird time signatures. Are they math rock? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, Or even there's a, there's a lot of Soundgarden songs that have like, the craziest uh, time signatures. And if someone were like, Soundguard is my favorite math rock band, like you would be like, what are you talking about? Like, I think like there's time, there's a lot of times where it's like, if it's math rock and it, it wants to show off like the time signature, cool. Like there's probably lots of times I'm on board with that. But for the most part, I feel like a lot of times I don't necessarily feel like I want to know. Like, yeah. like if afterwards when I've really spent time with the song, I'm like, that's an, you know, 16, five, or I don't know. I think that's a wrench, but you know, like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to know when I'm listening to the song. Like I might feel that something's uneasy with it, but you know, I don't, I'm not sitting there going like, holy shit, bro. Look at that. <laughs> you know, nine sixteenths or I think once again, that's a wrench, but, um, you know, you know, I don't know, but kind of going back to uh, what you were saying about granddaddy and covering it, I think like a way that someone probably could is like essentially you just like take the vocal melody and then do whatever, you know, instrumentation wise within like the chord structure. But yeah, mm-hmm. trying to reduplicate like, you know, an alarm clock, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to get the right brand of alarm clock. And I think that'd be a little egg on your face. <laughs> well, yeah. I think... Um there's a lot of humor in granddaddy's music and that's something that i really appreciate yes. generally in in music that i like and listen to um all my favorite bands have a, a, a shade of a humorous side um and you know they play on that uh you know as much or as little as they want um you know either in their lyrics or in like you know funny sounds or whatever and you know granddaddy definitely are in touch with that funny side and you know they can be funny and they can be devastating you know at the at the same time 
Um, but I, I think it's a really admirable thing when a songwriter or a band can um, can be funny in a song and for it not to be like a cheap laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, um, like if a song is funny and it keeps being funny forever, then, you know, that's, that's real, that's real talent, I think. Um, you know, cause you don't want to be like a kind of comedy songwriter, but, um, so what's a good example? Well, I always think of when I think of like a funny songwriter that is totally not a joke songwriter would be like Warren Zevon. Um, and I feel like a lot of his songs are, have like funny, ironic things that, but they're, I mean, they're not joke songs, but some of them probably get close to like a novelty, um, thing, but you know, I, they're always, they're also like really dark a lot of times too. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think like something within this world, this kind of orbit that will do that. I mean, granddaddy is a good example. I think even a lot of their imagery kind of shows their sense of humor. I think Weezer um, are like, obviously like that, they're a bit more, you know, um, upfront with the humor within their band. Um, and the, but that's kind of a little bit of an ironic edge. Um, Car Seat Headrest, um, which was another, another album that I suggested that I wanted to talk about actually. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of his lyrics are really kind of funny. Um, and you know he's not i think a lot of bands might be afraid to to try and be funny and try and make people laugh um in their music because in case like it doesn't work or in case like a joke doesn't land um and you know it's it's quite i think if you were to compare how easy it is to make someone cry and make someone laugh you know through music I think making someone cry is is probably a lot easier. Yeah, I think a lot of people that I know that write like really, um, even like what's on just like sad music, you know, they're pretty funny people. Um, like one thing I was even thinking like since we mentioned them, like Superchunk always seems to have like really funny music videos, and they don't take themselves like super seriously. Um, but even like a few think about like the songs that like Jason Isbell writes but also like Jason Isbell like online you Mm -hmm. know like it's that's quite a juxtaposition um you know so there's a lot of things like that even like one of I guess our mutual person that we know like uh I feel like Matt from Hurry um is a very funny person and there is definite humor in hurry songs but i would in no way say they're like joke songs like yeah you know and that's i think it's like i think yuck does the same you know Mm. like i feel like there's definite like humor in the way that you know like you i guess handle yourself online or you know i see it in songs too um so i guess we're just kind of say stating like the influence of that and like our own music you know Mm. But. I've definitely, I've definitely tried to kind of like access my humor side in uh, through music. Like more recently, um, I think you know, writing lyrics can be really hard um, and really scary because you're saying something directly to the listener. Um, and you know, I mean, you can kind of cover up with metaphors and stuff like that, but it's 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 a very direct 
direct way of communicating compared to writing music. So yeah, being expressing yourself, putting yourself out there, putting you know your emotions out there on the line, it, it's really daunting. It can be really scary. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think Granddaddy are not um, necessarily overtly funny, but uh, you know, take. Um, you know, like Broken Household Appliance, National Forest is quite, you know, it's it's a serious song, a serious issue sung in quite a lighthearted way. Um, and, you know, E. Knievel interlude. <laughs> yeah, I think even like the name of the record, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. It references, you know, sophomore slump, but also like kind of references the idea of kind of that this is there's electronic kind of leanings in it you know i would say like there was a lot of that i feel like around the time like even if you think about like lcd's some like kind of using starting to kind of use utilize like electronic you know soundscapes more but so i think like the title itself encompasses both that and you know something humorous so i always thought that the software slump was like a reference to I mean what I take the entire album to be about is like um kind of human the human uh reliance on technology and you know technology overtaking our lives and you know because this this album was released in 2000 as well yeah. that's obviously like has a huge a huge part in it as well um such good you know such good timing such good subject matter um and yeah, and you know how, you know, we give personality to technology, and then you know we love we love technology, and we fall in love with it, like you know, like Jed the humanoid, and then and you know then it grows sentience and um, and you know emotional thought of its own, and yeah, and I guess like the dangers of you know putting too much. Uh, trust and faith and emotion in technology and um it kind of felt like almost like a warning message to to the uh to the human race or something um and i found that really powerful and it's something i think about a lot um like a couple of days ago i don't know if you've seen this uh documentary on netflix called the social dilemma yeah i someone posted about it and they said that they weren't gonna use their phone for like a week or so after watching it and so it's like i'm not gonna watch it then out of protest like just like you know that's where i'm kind of at it like i guess my uh phone addiction where it's like if someone's telling me not to i'm almost just kind of like you know be a contrarian the other way but i haven't I haven't watched it yet but i'm saying that to myself and now realizing that i probably should based on everything i just said it's worth watching and it definitely made me realize that um, the way the way that scrolling through social media on my phone makes me feel is like basically like the way it makes me feel afterwards is, is sort of similar to like if I had just done drugs um, and you know like quite empty and you know a little bit hungover almost yeah I, I agree yeah and so like and I thought that was just kind of unique to me. What the most shocking thing about seeing this documentary actually was that um, all of the things I feel like, you know, the kind of anxiety and 
the, um, you know, fear of missing out and, you know, the feeling that you get when you like, um, when you scroll to the top and there's something new and stuff like that. Um, the shocking thing was that it was, those were purpose built things that, you know, the app builders and, um, you know, people behind these platforms that, you know, they wanted people to feel these things and they wanted people to have this reaction. And, you know, it has such a power over people. And obviously, you know, it goes into how it can, um, how it's allowed, you know, people to take advantage of the human race to swing elections and whatever. But it's kind of, it's the same thing really to me as like what granddaddy were talking about um, on the software slump, you know, building a trust, you know, I think on the software slump, you know, uh, Jason, this was talking about um, building an emotional connection with, with a robot. Um, but, you know, I guess this is like the other side of the coin. Um, you know, this, this is what happens when we build an emotional connection with, you know, something quite evil, I think, you know, technology that, you know, it has sentience, but it's kind of using that against, against us, if that makes sense. Yeah, Whereas, I mean, yeah, I, the human just wanted to be, you know, our friend. <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, there's kind of like two kind of points I'm thinking of, um, kind of just thinking about like the documentary you're talking about, but kind of want to, I guess, revisit the idea, like the thoughts of it coming out in the, in 2000. And so assuming like as they were writing however long that took, you know, I'm not sure what their like turnaround, they, they haven't put out like for as long as they've been a band, I don't feel like they put out a ton of music. I mean, they had a big gap where they weren't playing for like six years. Um, but, you know, like just kind of like what, like Y2K might've fueled um, going into this record, you know, it was 2000. So it's like, if, you know, cause I remember it being like a big, part of me growing up like there was like it's like you didn't I, I don't know how it hit you like Y2K like but I remember essentially thinking that I might go to sleep and not wake up mm. you know like it was like the ball dropped nothing happened like but also I think that that's like it might be different because I was also raised in like a really religious household and mm. so there was a lot of like fire or brimstone thing so they kind of hang their hat on any sort of big moment you know so like um so y2k was like a big marker like this could be when like all of the 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 thought at the time for like i guess crazy people was that like uh the when the computers glitch and it didn't roll over like an odometer or whatever the computer was going to do um it's like the code couldn't understand the year 2000 was the thought and I'm oversimplifying it to like a crazy degree. And then like potentially that would make like old missiles like fire um, that had been set up in like the 60s that were still there. And so it would, and, but it's like, but then the thing I think of now is that those probably didn't really have like computer software in the same way, but they probably had some computer component. But there was a lot of talk around that time is why I mentioned that there was like fears, you know, that like, essentially banks would fail because of software and then like if banks failed and that would lead to like another great depression and so the relationship i think that we had that we couldn't even control these computers that were gonna like destroy our life was the thought 
at the time. Uh, I was I was fully aware of Y2K and the theory behind it, but like I mean, I was I was ten years old at the time, and I think the only thing I remember about it was um, the Simpsons episode, um, which was you know uh, about Y2K actually happening and planes falling out of the sky and then it was like a Halloween episode I think and yeah. then they they all got on <laughs> they all got on a spaceship and um but then you know the Simpsons like realized that they were on the wrong spaceship <laughs> and for some reason there was a rocket that was just going straight to the sun they're on the spaceship for like the worst people in the world <laughs> instead of the spaceship that was carrying people to like start another civilization yeah. but um but yeah like I I think, yeah, there was a lot of kind of people were having a lot of existential crises at that time. Um, and so it was kind of, yeah, the, I mean, I don't know if there are any other albums about this subject, but, you know, Granddaddy definitely wrote the defining one. Um, you know, not, not all songs are about, are about the subject, but, you know, um, it's kind of like an underlying theme and something that gets revisited constantly. Um, and it's just a kind of thread that travels throughout. Um, but then also, you know, um, there's songs, there's songs that, you know, I can't really put my finger on what they're about. Um, yeah. Like the Crystal Lake, Under the Weeping Willow, Broken Household. It's like, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like quite based on nature. And, you know, as I understand, like, um, Jason Little like lived in Modesto at the time, but then moved to like Montana. And he's like, he's like a mountain forest dweller. He like loves that shit. He like does not like live in cities and stuff. And um, so, yeah, I kind of get like a lot of a kind of nature theme from, from this record as well. But yeah, also quite like small town. Um, I feel like listening to it, I feel like I'm, I'm picturing like a small town, like minor at the dial of you. Um, you know, a small rural town um, is, yeah, I have a very strong image of that when, when I listen to this album. Yeah, I mean, there, when I, sometimes when I, even in like sci-fi or when people mention like, you know, kind of humanoids or machines, especially in music, sometimes I think that they're kind of actually talking about interpersonal relationships. Mm. And sometimes with things like humanoids, like I think, that they're almost either saying like they can't connect with people or they have people in their life that they can't that connect with. And so I think that's a lot of times what the, uh, the kind of humanoid or robot analogy gets kind of used for. And also I think that it also is like a stand in and sci-fi for like the other. Mm. It's like a, you know, like if you think about like Asimov, it's, it's like, it's just, it's almost, it's almost a stand in for like a person of color. You know, there's, there's a, there's like a, there's, there's the, I guess the other is really the best word for it. It's like someone that's kind of viewed as like a subclass. And mm-hmm. so like, if there's a sci-fi element and a little bit into it, it's like, potentially that's there. That's probably like a deep read to it, but that's, that's how I feel like ends up being inserted a lot in sci-fi and, you know. The thing that like really affects me about you know the relationship between i don't know if jason little is like writing these songs from like an autobiographical perspective um or if he's putting himself in the shoes of someone else or just telling the story about someone else he's singing in the first person 
but um you know he like created this well it's actually you know it's funny because like this album doesn't really tell a story like the story starts and finishes in the track jed the humanoid um you know they build this robot the robot drinks all their alcohol and then and then he dies um that's it like it's just that track really that talks about it and then Judd's other poem is like a poem that they found that, that he wrote. And the devastating thing about it, I think, is that like, well, first of all, like the way he like chose to, to uh, destroy himself was by drinking alcohol, which is like what humans do to, you know, when they're depressed. So it's like he, he saw his creators do, you know, doing that. And so he wanted to be like them and do that which is like such a devastating thought to me. Um, and then Jed's other poem, you know, written from the perspective of Jed, like the idea of a robot writing a poem, you know, maybe they discovered only after he had destroyed himself that he had all these like feelings and emotions that were kind of running through his head. Um, you know, we're kind of, we're at that point now with AI, um, you know, don't want to talk too much again about the social dilemma, but in that documentary, they talk about yeah. how the AI that Facebook and Twitter have built, um, it can, it can and does think for itself um, in the way that, it, um, you know, machine learning is the act of, you know, coding and programming machines to learn um, and, you know, observe human behavior and learn from it. Um, and so it can, you know, these, these machines, um, that de these developers have programmed, they can think for themselves, um, but they don't really know even the people that created them. Like they, they're not even really in control of that fact anymore. They just built them, but you know, they can't, they now can't control them. It's kind of like got out of hand, um, you know, which is, which is a really scary fact. And, you know, obviously, these machines are not going to kind of develop emotions and feelings um, like, you know, like Jed the Humanoid, but, um, but it's kind of, it's just a really interesting, it's just an interesting idea, I think. Yeah, I think like, what well, kind of thinking of the record, like, since like the whole purpose of like this podcast itself is like, kind of listening to records a lot of times being records that I haven't really spent a lot of time with you know and mm -hmm. so it's like an exercise to kind of push myself out of like what I normally would listen to um and you know it's it's interesting though it's like because I'm listening to so many records like at once it's like I'm I'm happy that you're mentioning like the ins and outs of like the lyrics because I feel like lyrics honestly sometimes would be like the last thing that I really get around to kind of breaking apart mm. and honestly I don't feel like I had gotten to that point yet but I feel like you've honestly had a lot more time with yeah. this record over the past how whenever you discovered it which it wasn't when it came out um, but you know so it's it's interesting to think how relevant it is to now but it's also interesting to think that like whenever people put the idea of like you know, I guess like humanoids or like where we talk about these concepts in songs or in movies, television shows, like I don't think anyone could have expected our relationship with it now. 
with like social media or even the fact that social media would exist in this way. Um, so it's interesting. And so it kind of refashions this album in like a different light um, now. It, it's, 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 but I think that's what makes like a good record, you know? It's like you can kind of like take things from it later on and kind of plug it in. So it's yeah. like, it's, it's specific enough that it'll speak to you, but it's general enough that you can plug it in many years later. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's difficult. Um, I'm not sure if I would identify this album as a concept album, although it has yeah. a, a concept. Um, but listening to this album really inspired me to find other albums that were really concise pieces of work from start to finish. So around this time, I started listening to, I started seeking, actively seeking out albums that had a really good, like solid journey from start to finish. So other albums that kind of fell into that category was Wilco with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, um, Built to Spill with Keep It Like a Secret, uh, Flaming Lips with the Soft Bulletin, um, and Superfire Animals, I was really into as well at the time rings around the world um just like you know not necessarily a concept album but it just takes you on this kind of meandering journey it's not just like you know one song then the next song then the next song it's like each song is like where it needs to be and it takes you takes you on an emotional journey and granddaddy was definitely the start of that kind of realization and i think ever since that moment I've always actively kind of tried to make albums that have that clear pathway um definitely that wasn't the case with the first Yuck record because we wrote like 30 songs or something ridiculous over the space of like two or three years and then put them together in some kind of order but making albums like from the start like okay as in like being like okay we're gonna make an album maybe having like a few jumping off points like you know having like a couple of songs but then kind of using those songs and like allowing songs to kind of develop around that into an album is you know is what well that is the way that I've kind of made music ever since so that's definitely that's definitely the way Glow and Behold was made and to some extent Stranger Things um and that's definitely the way my solo record was made too and yeah, so I just always make albums in that way now. That's just because like, yeah, it made me fall in love with the album as, as an art form. Yeah, I, th- I think like, well, they always like you head on points and then I'm like, oh, I want to kind of talk about that again. Like uh, when I think for some reason, and I don't know what it is, um, I just have not been able to really like wrap my head around uh Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and not like I can't understand the record but it's like I almost like everything around it like it's like I like early Wilco a lot I like later Wilco even like the newest record I thought was really good and I didn't hear a lot of people talk about it um but they're fine you know they don't need my help but you know it's like but I for some reason that record like I can't like get you know like it's like I don't know why it won't click for me have you seen uh, the documentary about that album? Um, it's called I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. Um, and it's a documentary about how that album was made. I, I did, and I really liked it. And I thought that that would be the, the tool I needed. 
But mm-hmm. for some reason, I feel like it's like there's almost like too much on that record happening. It's like, you know, and, and that's that's good in a lot of ways, like for certain things, but almost other Wilco records don't feel like they have like as much going on even like after it. Um, or at least it's like mixed better. Sometimes I feel like it's a distraction in a way like it almost makes me think of like it's their most Beatles record, but Beatles as in like white album, you know, and like that it's like you didn't need all this. There's a good song underneath sometimes like uh, and I feel that way about some things on the white album where it's like I know the songs there, but I don't need the wah, 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 or some kind of sound that's sort of telling me to like the song where it's like I can hear the song underneath is <laughs> what kind of gets me on uh, that woke up record. I mean, I'm like, I'm such, I'm a sucker for like the mythology of a band. So I think there's so much mythology around Yankee Hotel Foxtrot that I was like, I fell in love with that as much as I did the music. Um, And yeah, there was also the fact that Yankee Hotel Foxtrot was my first experience of Wilco. And I think you always fall in love with whatever you hear first. Yeah. Generally. I think that's probably it because I think a lot of people that's their favorite Wilco record or it's a top one. I think like, like my wife really likes that record a lot. Like almost anyone I know that likes Wilco. Um, but for me, I actually feel like I got to Wilco in a different way. Like mm-hmm. I was, um, my journey musically, like I got really into, I guess like alt country. Um, and I was, after I was kind of in like fast, punk bands we just started an alt country band just like just like we went from like a hardcore band like melodic hardcore band into a alt country band and we just kind of sounded like uncle tupelo yeah it was like a big so thing cool. and then so but whenever um whenever we dug into uncle tupelo and it kind of as we started branching from that like listening to it like a lot of us in the band or at least me specifically i kind of went the sunvolt route and for some reason, it was like, I just picked Jason Farrar. Like, you know, I just, I just picked him. Like, he was like, I went to go live with my dad or something, you know? And it's like, I didn't want to go live with, you know, Jeff Tweedy for really almost no reason. And I don't feel like, I feel like Wilco really clicked for me in like even the last five years. Mm. You know, like, but yeah, so it was really just like a choice I made. Mm. Mm. You know, so. Yeah, I mean. They're also like, I mean, you know, there's so many different kind of versions of Wilco to fall in love with. Um, you know, early Wilco, early Wilco, I got into like, you know, quite later, um, later on um, in my life. And I really like being there and AM. I think they're great records. Um, but it's like a different headspace to, you know, that you can, you can split Wilco into three you know, the early kind of country alternative country mm-hmm. rock stuff. And then like the middle stuff, which is like when they start getting a bit weird, like Summer Teeth and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. And then where they get Nels Klein. And Nels Klein is like the turning point because he's like one of my favorite guitarists of all time. And I think he joined on Sky Blue Sky. And I love that record so much too. But that was like, that was such a turning point for them when like, it was almost like the microphones... Um, in the studio just suddenly got closer and like you know whereas like on Summer Teeth and uh, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and even their like early albums 
it was like this big roomy sound suddenly it was just everything was like close and intimate and you know there was like barely any room sound barely any reverb and barely any effects and it was just like beautiful natural sounds and so yeah like and then I guess you could add a fourth stage as well like their newer stuff like the whole love and stuff um which I think is good too but yeah um Yankee Hotel Foxtrot is my favorite Wilco record but the the phase that I like the most is definitely like Sky Blue Sky Ghost is Born vibe that's that's I think what I'm most into and they're an incredible live band as well um but yeah uh there's a point in the past not long enough where it's almost like at this point I'm almost like ashamed of it where I tried to just almost like purposely turn off like a punk brain in my head <laughs> like it's like it's like I know I'll always have it but for some reason like Wilco seem like enemy of like a punk or something yeah and and it's like I don't like thinking in like binaries like that I think it's like really boring you know but I just know what I came you know kind of came from you know um but you know it's it's just kind of like everything doesn't have to be punk and everything doesn't have to have like a line from punk but I think like Wilco does like I think that they are people that came from you know probably like who's liking who's do and you know, liking, you know, like SFP and touch and go and all that, all that stuff. So they do have that line there, but that's like when I'm even, even going back to like granddaddy, it's like, it's like, I think about like, sometimes it took me a little bit to get there because I couldn't really trace its connection to like punk rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's so uh, stupid. I definitely, I, can't feel like as connected to someday or under the western freeway um as i do to the southwest lump and i think it's literally a result of me hearing the southwest lump first like i know a guy who loves under the western freeway and says that's the best granddaddy record i think it's just because he heard it first or maybe he was like i think he was around when it was first released but yeah like I think the other albums are great and Someday has some great songs, but um, but as a kind of whole cohesive piece, um, The Sawfire Stump is definitely like my favorite one. And I think the strongest one. I, um, I've i only seen Granddaddy live uh, twice. Um, the first time was at this festival in the UK called End of the Road Festival. Um, and it's like, one, it's one of the best festivals in the UK. It's in, in an area called Dorset, which is uh, beautiful farmland. And it's kind of at the end of summer, kind of September time. And they, it's like a family festival. So it's not like Glastonbury or Reading or whatever. It's like um, they put like fairy lights in the trees and families go and, you know, dad can smoke weed and, you know, mum can kind of take take the kid to like do some child activities and stuff like that. But they have like really good music and it's over the years, it's gotten bigger and bigger. So um, I went to camp there and the only band I wanted to see was Granddaddy. And that was some, so I, I had to kind of stay, stick around for like two days and not really do anything because there weren't really any bands that I wanted to see. Um, I can't even remember who was playing, um, but Granddaddy were playing on the Sunday 
like they were like headlining last last band of the festival and i'd made these hash cakes and i took them like an hour before they were due to go on and they didn't kick in until directly after they finished which was really annoying but um they were having some technical issues and so they didn't come on for ages they had like this kind of uh visual thing that was supposed to go along with the music um and that wasn't working so they someone kept trying to fix it and they weren't coming on and they had to do like a i think a shortened set so i was quite disappointed but then a couple of years later um i saw them at the roundhouse and it was just absolutely incredible um roundhouse is like an incredible venue like not too big not too small maybe like 2000 or something and you know when you go to like a, a gig of you know a 90s band to have come back it's always such a good atmosphere because like all the people there are like real fans like hardcore fans and it's like going to like a family reunion or something and so you know i don't know many people that like granddaddy actually but yeah, every, there was just so much love in the room. And I think a week later, um, Kevin Garcia, their bass player, died. Uh, and it was just devastating. And yeah, I, I think that was like the last time that, you know, they, I, that one of the last times anyone could have seen them as, as their original lineup. So I felt very privileged to, to be there. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, that's what kind of made me think, like, as I'll, I guess as we make, like, a long wrap-up with everything, I know I've held you long enough, but, like, <laughs> whenever the record would stop playing and, like, Spotify would start playing something else, it was always built to spill. Like, that's, like, what it always go to. And what I'm thinking of where you said, like, uh, not a lot of people that you know seem to really like Granddaddy, and actually, like, I, I was wondering when listening to it, because this record is like it, I don't have like a good way to put it but it's like it's just it's a really awesome record like it's an amazing record like I don't understand why this record isn't held in the same regard of uh you keep it like a secret I'm getting the name of the built spilled I'm gonna be embarrassed and someone's gonna call me out on it but um you know like I, I don't know why it's not held to that that esteem like I don't know why granddaddy isn't in that thing or maybe they are for certain people and that'd be nice but I don't feel like what I understand and from what you're saying too so I don't feel like I'm making this up um I don't feel like they're held in that same regard as like a modest mouse or a built to spill I wonder whether it's different in the UK as, it, as uh, compared to in America because I know they had a different that I think well I think they were quite successful in the UK off the back of 28 days later and being in Trigger Happy as well, like two very British films uh, and TV shows. Um, so I, I wonder if there's like more of a fondness for them in Europe. Um, I know they played over over this way like a lot. Um, you know, Built, Built to Spill are like um, comparatively less well-known here. Like um, the last time I saw Built to Spill was Electric Ballroom and um that which i think is like a thousand cap and and granddaddy played roundhouse which is more like i guess two three thousand maybe mm. i don't know but um but yeah like i bet 
it's I guess it's just different contexts. Like, yeah, I mean, it also could be like a friend group perception, you know, for me. Like, yeah. you know, like I feel like I don't hear a lot of my friends talk about granddaddy. It's to me, actually, it feels like people that are almost like 10 years or some, some I feel like there's people older than me seem to like granddaddy a lot. Um, you know, uh, th- that's what it's almost like a time and place. Like if you if you heard it for the first time in 2000, then you took it with you. Yeah, but I don't I don't see and I'm kind of more so saying for people younger than me, I don't hear younger groups or even I'm talking about like, or even like people in their mid 20s or whatnot, like talking, like talking about granddaddy, but people are keeping like built the spill alive. And, you know, or we can probably pick another, you know, another band that kind of within that time frame, which I feel like we kind of probably floated in similar spheres. Um, but I don't, I don't personally hear a lot of people like Karen. And I mean, but that, that could also not, that could not mean like uh, who's actually showing up. I don't, really know <laughs> with mm. that part of it yeah i think that's generally quite a good thing um i i'm kind of like a bit annoying with like bands that a lot of people know or are talking about so like if if there's like a really good album and everyone's talking about it that will put me off because yeah. i'm I don't know, a stupid, pretentious idiot who like has to, <laughs> has to hear everything like, you know, first or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. I feel like I, there was a time frame where a lot of people that I knew, like it felt like kind of indie rock using the broad sense was almost the uh, dominant kind of subculture, but dominant in a way of like, you know, almost like it would probably have more normal people in it. So I feel like when I was younger, I pushed against it because of that. And then I, because of that, I, I missed, I missed out on a lot of initially like good bands, like the ones that I've said over and over again in this, um, you know, just because of that, like, I, you know, so I, I'm just kind of agreeing with you and uh, as every good contrarian shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> to me that, I guess that was, you know, that more applies to like new bands who might be really good, but I wouldn't, want to listen to them because everyone's talking about them so like I think I didn't listen to that girl's album for a really long time because um because I you know everyone was like talking about it everyone was raving about it and it was just like I was just like no shut up I want to listen to this record and like judge for myself whether I think it's good and um you know it's happened a bunch I think it's happened with like you know, Tame Impala's like later records. Cause I like, still haven't listened to that girl's record because of the same rank. <laughs> it's really good. It's really good. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, you know, girls are a band that like, if you, so I heard, I heard them in like a cafe, like near my house. And I was like, oh shit, this is amazing. And then I was like, oh, this is girls. Yeah. Um, and you know, we were lucky enough to like play a bunch of shows with them and they were just like, they were a really special band and they were kind of a one of a kind. They kind of stand alone in, in what they did. Uh, they didn't really have any influences um, or they didn't go on to influence people really. They were just them alone. Like they just did their thing, got in, got out. That's it. It's quite amazing. 
Yeah. And you were saying, so kind of to bring back something you were saying, like whenever you see like that festival you went to and you were kind of explaining the kind of ambiance of it. Mm. And it's like when shows get back to normal, if somehow I can actually have opportunities where I get, it's like, can I just play stuff like that? Like, that's like where I am mentally where it's like, put me on those, you know, it's like, you know, it seems like more low key, you know, it's like about the vibe, like almost like I was telling someone that if there's sort of a accepted version of my band playing a brewery instead of like playing like a bar, like I want to do that. I don't want to play covers per se, but it's like, but I want to do that because I feel like it's like not even like a bar element. It's like, like, uh, it's just like, I want that instead of like, you know, kind of a bar culture kind of thing, which seems silly sometimes I'm talking about a brewery, but there's a different connection there. As, as shows kind of, I mean, shows are kind of slowly starting to come back in the UK, but in a very different way, you know, tickets cost like 50 quid and, you know, they're at tables and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a different vibe. I mean, that's not really a bad thing for me because I don't really like crowds. Um, so the further people are away from each other, the better for me. That's probably really what I mean. It's like, I don't... Like, I'm at a point where I don't necessarily, I, I guess, I mean, I'd like someone to, like, throw themselves off a the stage for my band, but I don't think it's going to happen. And You know, it's like, but I'm also, like, I want my space, you know? Like, I'm yeah. fine, like, kind of settling into, like, a longer set, but I don't want to be the band that plays a long set at a bar. So it's like, if it's a brewery thing, or if it's, like, an isolated show, I feel like I would be okay with it because that's how I want to kind of experience it. I guess like I'm feeling probably the same way as you were. I'm, you know, I'm not taking it as a negative thing. <laughs> like, I'm like, I kind of want to grow with it and maybe add people to my band and, you know, mm. uh, just chill more, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, like um, one thing I kind of, when, when I put it on in the car and I asked my wife, I was like, what is this? Like, who do you think this band could sound or tour with and it just like the first song is on and it's really just kind of when it starts with like piano and whatnot it's a little bit more chill and she was like early Coldplay oh uh, uh, yeah which was funny because I looked it up and they did tour with Coldplay in like 2000 are you serious yeah oh that's wild it's, it's so funny like there's so many bands from like the 90s that you that you see on the same bill okay so what a lot of my friends do on Facebook, uh, which I hate saying because I don't know, Facebook feels like a dirty word now. But anyway, um, in the summer, they post like old festival lineups of like Reading Festival and Glastonbury Festival in, in the 90s. And it's amazing. My favorite thing is seeing like legendary people like Jeff Buckley, like fifth from the top on like the smallest stage or whatever or like Elliot Smith like second from headline on like you know um the second the second smallest stage or whatever and you know then seeing like bands that you've never heard of like headlining and it's just funny um but yeah like um another amazing um tour that granddaddy did was uh co-headline granddaddy and superfly animals which yeah I mean, those those two bands are, are so important to me. I would have absolutely loved to be there. Um, yeah, but yeah, like Coldplay, that's that's 
that's a really interesting one. And I can totally see that. I think Grandaddy and um, like Elliot Smith feel quite linked. They to toured me. together too. Yeah, right. Okay. And, and then also like Grandaddy and Sabado as well, for some I reason. That. They're both quite emo as well. One they thing have- I, I feel like it's like if Grandaddy and Sabado, because I've seen Sabado a couple times, I can't see any way that Sabado should like headline because yeah. but mainly just because like i feel like granddaddy it's like they have more of a production going on behind it from stuff i've looked at and sebado is still like it feels like your friend's band you know it's like you know and i, I love that about them but it's like i can't imagine them because i feel like there's a little bit more production um to granddaddy and not like any even in a negative sense but it's like anytime i've seen sebado it's like they don't it feels like they don't have a set list you know they switch instruments and all that stuff it's almost like every don't do thing that you do but they're doing all of it you know as a band yeah it would would have to be a co-headline with granddaddy playing last that's the problem with co-headlines someone has to play last so you can bill it as a co-headline but you know someone's the headliner yeah yeah (laughs) yeah but um yeah, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think that even with like just Coldplay in general, like I feel like there's like a different universe where like Coldplay could have been almost any of these bands. I feel like the trajectory that they took was based on the fact that people gave a lot of shits about them, you know, uh, and they kind of went in that direction. Bands like get famous and then they enjoy being famous. And so they write music that perpetuates that. There's yeah. like so many examples of that but like it's so funny that you mentioned this because like i've been like i've just been thinking about this a lot lately maybe maybe it's because like i'm officially in my 30s now um but yeah like i think you know there's there's been a couple of times when like i i've written a song and then it's just been like the exact same chords as a Coldplay song and then I've been like, oh, oh, fuck, actually, um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Mm, Actually, you know, Coldplay had really, really amazing moments, Um, you know, less so in their, like, arena rock times. But, like, then also, like, you know, they have some really beautiful moments, you know, in their later career as well. Um, I generally, like, don't respond very well to, like, when bands are quite self-aware with how big they are and so purposely make really big music and you know exude an energy that's like you know quite um like this music needs to be played in front of like you know a million people or whatever and you can kind of sense the thought that goes into that and you know there's quite a self-aware element of that that i find a bit unattractive but um, yeah I think there's like a time frame with like kind of music. It kind of makes me think of like 90s music. And I think the same thing happened in the 2000s. But what what comes to mind a lot and me and um, one of my bandmates mentioned a lot is Goo Goo Dolls. Like there was Mm -hmm. a clear point where I felt like it's like they believed that they're bullshit. And it's (laughs) like, I love, I like Goo Goo Dolls like a lot, even into the points where people were kind of not, you know, like, but I think that's the thing you almost have to be like you have to kind of ride that line you have to probably think about making your music bigger but you have to kind of not be like well maybe these acoustic ballads should be essentially all of our identity now you know Mm -hmm. 
Like, and I think that's what happens with things like Coldplay, where it's like, you go, you kind of start chasing that high. Mm. Uh, but it's also, you get a lot of, you get a lot of like positive affirmations that you should go that way. So I worry that like, if I ever had it, which I know I'm never going to, um, I would maybe make the same decisions, you know? Mm. You know, cause it's sort of like, well, if I do this, I'll buy another house, you know? But, mm. you know, you know, I don't, I, I like to think that I wouldn't and I would kind of reel it back or just kind of like keep that in mind. And, you know, like, I don't know if a band like Granddaddy could have ever done that. I feel like it's such a like insulated thing. You know, like, I feel like, like Jason probably is like a Luddite. Like, you know, we were talking about like the, I think his relationship kind of going back to it with like robots or, you know, like, social media now um or anything is sort of like his rejection of it is my my theory but you know it, it's like a it's like a soft luddite it's like i assume that a lot of these instruments that are electronic in nature that he's recording on are like analog sound and so you know and it's like i wouldn't be surprised if i emailed jason and i got an aol he gave me an aol yeah yes you know yeah like, yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, that, I mean, they, they always recorded to tape. They always use analog sound. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think when Jason speaks about technology, it's more in like, uh, kind of like the traditional kind of industrial sense, almost. Like how technology and the rise of technology like interferes with his kind of rural life and his simple life and how, how, and the negative effects it can have. Um, he doesn't obviously, you know, artificial intelligence as we know these days was not in existence in, in 2000, but there was like a sense of technology and, and people like Jason as well were clearly asking the question, is this a good or bad thing? And, you know, obviously we have a much better idea now of whether it's a good or bad thing it's a bad thing obviously we know that now but there was still that question and i think that's what he was asking yeah i think there's yeah there's really like no question that's a bad thing um yeah. and i should probably watch that documentary but well um, i mean they say they say it's a bad thing but they also say it's it's actually it can be a tool for good it's just got out of hand that's the point like it's like reunited families and you know in terms of like facebook and social media like it's like a, a beautiful thing for bringing people together but it the problem is it's got into the wrong hands and it's been abused. But anyway, I think it's a good thing in the regard that I'm talking to you over zoom and yeah. you're in the UK and this would have never happened without the advents and, you know, progression yeah. in technology. So I remember like being on holiday and like abroad and my sister was, I was like maybe like five or six and my sister was sending a text message to her friend in the UK and ignoring how much that would have cost back then, my, my dad saw her do this and was like, that's unbelievable that you're doing that. You're sending a text to someone in the UK. That's stunning. He said stunning. And it's just funny to think about that now, like in living memory, that's, that's, how, far, that's how far along we were. It's like, you know, it seems like an age ago, but it was like 20 years ago. I was constantly confused while in Japan just mm -hmm. thinking about I kept thinking about what time it was at home and then like people would kind of like send me emails and then I'd be like but what and then we're in the future 
you know, and then like, um, and then like, I would try and like schedule things back home. Like if I had to put like a note to myself that I knew, but it was like a certain time there. And so I had to kind of hope that it would be the right time when I got back to the U S and stuff. And like, it was really confusing. You know, like it's, it's like a weird thing with like technology and time. And like, even the idea of like, I, I feel like I get like, I feel like I've become like 85 years old. Like when I'm thinking about like the time differences and time zones, like I'm surprised I was able to like schedule this with you because I start getting wrapped up in like sort of like why time exists in that, that way. But I know there's simple answers and there doesn't need to be an answer to it, but you know. I, I find it really confusing too. And it, it's really like unsettling when like, I find it really unsettling when like I've had a full night of sleep in a different country and then I wake up and speak to someone and they've just been awake throughout that sleep. Yeah. Like, it's almost, I feel like they're lying to you. Like, <laughs> like a Truman show kind of thing. Like it's like, and sometimes when I, when I was flying to Japan, it was like, we could be in a plane or essentially a, uh, like a device that just kind of makes a bunch of noise while they're rechanging the set. Thing. I thought exactly the same thing. Yeah. But that also feels so narcissistic where it's like, you know, it's like they're changing the set for me and they're creating Japan, you know, <laughs> like, you know, or like I'm, I'm just shifting to like, they can get the program running in Japan program. I mean, <laughs> narcissistic. I, I don't think it's narcissistic. And this is, I promise this is the last time I will speak about the social dilemma, but <laughs> um, they, they use the Truman Show analogy in, in that documentary um, and they say that having your online world, you know, your platform on social media is the equivalent of being, it's your very own Truman Show. Um, you can build your own reality around you. And then they, they play this clip from the Truman Show um, where like the creator is being um, interviewed and the interviewer asks, um, why, why don't you think he's like caught on to the fact that he's not living in reality? And the creator guru guy says, um, people only something along the lines of people only accept the reality in which they're presented. Um, which I think, yeah, felt really prescient. I think about that a lot. And then once again, I guess I'll kind of say into the people that aren't that are listening like this is like the longest wrap up but i'm i mean i'm personally fine with it but you know it's like i i think about that in terms of just like things that we accept as like things we do socially you know or like um i guess you can kind of get into morality stuff but i don't want to make this like the i'm a satanist podcast or something you know like it, it feels like it's like whatever foot you vote man but you know like uh you know like but it's like we're told certain things like not to do or you know like how to kind of like live your life or just accept things like even something as simple or this is sounds so basic but like like even when i think about like in the uk you drive on the other side of the road you know but it's like you do that because everyone else in society does it you know like you know it's like there's certain things where it's like um I feel like sometimes people are rooted in what they do socially because of like religion, but they also don't think about like what they do just rooted in the fact that like society tells them to do it that way. 
you know, and then whenever things start changing in terms of like how we should, you know, I guess respect people differently in terms of like pronouns and all the stuff that's, that's great that we should be doing and then people push against it. You know, it's, it's, it's just like, you have to kind of progress with society, but uh, you know, but there comes a time where that just becomes the accepted norm, mm-hmm. you know, um, I mean, kind of going in a tangent and even <laughs> answering it, but um, I, I guess I'm just saying that I agree with that. We, a lot of times we take these things for granted and we just accept them as that's a fact when it's really like almost like society kind of like stretching you know mm-hmm. um and so i think there's a lot of things that you would do like the idea of capitalism like we didn't we get we you know we were kind of talking about like working and whatnot before we started um you kind of just accept it because you've been told to accept it and then you don't really ask questions you know mm-hmm. uh, i went on a lot of tangents to kind of bring that up but i did recently rewatch truman show um mm. and it it holds up yeah it does amazing film um, so I yeah i gave you too much in my answer it kind of made it where it's like there's so many threads there um mm. to kind of you know shoot back at me but we don't there's, that. there's been many many tangents in our chat like i'd say we've spoken about granddaddy like 30 percent of the time and that's fine like if people do two things after this podcast i would advise they watch the truman show watch the social dilemma and um listen to the software slump and maybe wilco yeah and also i guess listen to your new solo record oh that's true yeah i get you can do that if you want you don't have to and Um, what's the name of the solo record it's called perfume um it would be nice if you listened to it um it was released in april of this year um right before coronavirus hit but you know I didn't have like shows planned. I had one show planned and it got pushed back and back and back and recently canceled. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a saw, it's an album that I wrote about, uh, a breakup that I was going through. And so I couldn't compare it to the software slump, but in one way that it is similar is that it's an album with a few different, tangents a bit like this conversation but with one singular thread that kind of runs all the way through but yeah and where can people find you um online well um obviously all streaming platforms but you know i would recommend using streaming platforms as a brief overview uh if you if you enjoy the music then i highly recommend um going to my band camp and i have cds um that you can order um, there's a few left uh, and um, yeah or you can buy the music there if you don't have a CD player but you know come on CDs are great um, I love CDs <laughs> well thank you for taking the time to talk to me I love all the <laughs> tangents I went on. yeah same it's been it's been a wild journey but um, thank you so much it's been such a pleasure right, thanks Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. 
If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for listening to another episode. Thanks again to Max Bloom. And like I mentioned at the top, check out his new solo album, Perfume. Once again, please do all the social media things. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. Leave a review wherever you listen. Next week, we'll be chatting with Libby Sai of the band Girl Friday. They just released their album Androgynous Mary on Hardly Art. I'll be chatting with Libby about the album This Is How You Smile by Gelato Negro. Do yourself a favor and listen to both albums in preparation. Highly recommend it. As always, thanks to Sarah Blumenthal for editing and producing the pod. On that note, hit the theme!